Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome. So tonight is exciting. We're going to be uh, starting Chapter 3. And until now, it was, uh, we were easy off. Easy off means that until now, we were just talking hypothetically. We, we didn't even know who we were talking about, technically. Um, and tonight is when we're going to start getting a little, or I should say very practical, talking about our connection with Hashem and what, uh, what we need to do. So I, I wanted to share with you a brief summary of chapter one, first chapter one, to chapter one, faith in God. Faith, the Tahon in God, causes tranquility to overcome the person and the certainty that God will act towards him with the ultimate good. So we learned that Bitachon means that I'm tranquil. Like we spoke about taking a deep breath. And it's, an, it's a certainty that Hashem is going to act to you and I with ultimate good. That was chapter one. Let's jump now to a summary of chapter two. In chapter two, we learned that there are seven qualities that the provider needs to have. And those are love and compassion, unceasing rest. You know, now that I review it, I'm not sure what they mean by the word rest, but in our, in our, what we learned was that there's a never stopping connection with you. In other words, Hashem is always looking over you. He's never taking a break on that watching over you. Unstoppable power, supreme power. The fact that Hashem is with us throughout our lives. Only Hashem can help us. He could do anything. And Hashem is kind, um, even if we are undeserving. That's what we learned previously. And now, is when it gets exciting, we're going to learn the beginning. We're going to start chapter three. Let me bring it up. Um, here we go. So we're going to start from the beginning, of course. And you see, we're going to be repetitive. And let me explain why. Chapter two told us what Hashem needs, the provider needs. Chapter three is going to start off saying five factors that the one trusting needs. And factor number one is going to be to trust that Hashem has all of the previous seven qualities. So again, in chapter two, we discuss seven qualities that the provider needs to have. In chapter three, when we start making it practical for us, the first factor that we need to trust in Hashem is trusting that he has the seven factors. And as Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, as the Shah HaBitochen is going to mentioned this, he's actually going to run through all seven factors again with a little more clarity. And interestingly enough, in a different order. So let's run through the seven factors, the, sorry, the seven um, items that the provider needs. We'll see the difference of order. We'll see the additional understanding. And at the end, hopefully we'll be able to clarify why the, the order here is different. 
page two, chapter three, Parachlisi, chapter three, the five factors that obligate trust in God. There are five introductions which when, when properly understood and realized to be true will cause a person to have complete trust in the Almighty. What's the first one? Just one moment, I'm going to read silence for a minute. Achas mehen, the first one, like I said, is to trust that Hashem has these seven qualities. Achas mehen. Sheyamin v'yispar etla hiskaptus hashiva in yonim belekim. The first one of them is that he must believe and clearly recognize that the Almighty possesses all the seven qualities mentioned in the previous chapter. Which when all of them are present in someone, in the provider, make it possible for a person to trust in him. I already mentioned them in the previous chapter. And I commented sukim, scriptural verses that were accessible to me, which state that God possesses these qualities. And now we're going to run through the seven qualities Again, an interesting thought. Uh, he starts off, the first one of them, he, he must believe and recognize. Let me just highlight the words right here, believe and recognize. Um, my computer is doing funny things, but it's, I'm supposed to be highlighting the words believe and recognize. Um, why does he say you need to believe and recognize? And the answer is you need both of them. You need the belief. Belief meaning even if it's not understood. I believe that Hashem has these seven qualities because we have the scriptural verses that prove it. So I trust the Torah. I know that what the Torah says is true. And therefore, I believe that Hashem has the seven qualities and we need to recognize because we also are able to come to them logically. So the fact that we know that Hashem has these seven qualities is both logical as well as it's a belief because the Torah tells us. What are the seven qualities? Harishayim. The first quality is Shabayre Yisparech. Merachim al ha'adam yoyser mikol merachim. Wow. Wow. The first quality that a person must believe that God, that God possesses in order to have proper trust in Him, Hashem, is that the creator, may he be blessed, has more compassion on a person than any other compassionate being does. Wow, this is very strong. You could feel that someone loves you. You could feel that someone is compassionate on you. But no one has the level of love, the level of compassion that Hashem has. And by the way, the reason I use love and compassion uh, interchangeably is because we discussed in chapter two that there's really three different verbs we said and they're interchangeable. Now listen to this. In fact, any compassion and mercy that you re receive from anyone else ultimately all comes from God's compassion and mercy as well. 
who is the one who puts in the heart of that person to have mercy and compassion towards you. So if someone loves you, if someone is compassionate towards you, Hashem put that love inside of their heart. Hashem put that compassion inside of their heart. This is quite a fascinating idea. What's the scriptural proof for this? As scripture says in Devarim, Deuteronomy 13:18, and he will grant you compassion and be compassionate with you and multiply you. So we're saying that Hashem has more compassion than anybody else, any other being. And Hashem's compassion is the source of any other compassion you're going to get. So it's not that there's Hashem's compassion and someone else's compassion is less. No. Any other compassion you get is directly from Hashem. Any, any questions on this idea? Well, actually, before I take questions or thoughts, I want to clarify this. This verse in Devarim, Deuteronomy 13, 18, where is it coming from? It's talking about an Irhanidaka. An Irhanidaka is a city that the Torah commands us to destroy, a city whose majority of inhabitants committed idolatry. And the Pasuk tells us that in return for carrying out this judgment against these sinners, Hashem will give you mercy and be merciful to you. So how do you give someone mercy and be merciful to them? Let's look in the, in the, in the passage. It says, Hashem's going to grant you compassion. And be compassionate with you. If Hashem is granting you compassion, I, I, you told me I'm being compassionate with you. It's repetitive. Could you nod, nod your head if the question's clear? The question is, I'm going to say this again, if it's clear or nod your head. The question is, the verse is repetitive. It says, I will grant you compassion and be compassionate with you. What's the difference between granting you compassion and being compassionate with you? Dr. Malo, understood? Understood? Mm-hmm. Yeshua, understood? I'm not sure I know what the difference is. Working on it, because uh, if I grant you compassion, is that I give I enable you to be compassionate or I grant my compassion to you? Oh, exactly. Good, good. You're already getting into the answer. So they're not both saying that Hashem is going to be compassionate to you. This is amazing. The Pasuk is saying, what happens? If Chas V'Shalom, you need to hurt someone, so at times you could become incompassionate. You become you, you lose your feelings. You lose your sensitivity. And the Torah is telling you that by fulfilling the mitzvah of Hashem, even though at times in this circumstance it looks like you're doing something cruel, you're not going to lose your compassion. You're not going to become insensitive. Hashem is telling you, I will grant you compassion. You, in other words, you're still going to feel compassion you're still going to be able to feel mercy. And in addition to the fact that you'll be able to feel that mercy, Hashem will be compassionate with you. Exactly like you said. So this verse actually, again, expressing this idea that 
all compassion comes from Hashem. For me to be compassionate, Hashem is giving it to you. I'm vinatan l'cha, rachanu. Hashem saying, I'm going to give you the ability to be compassionate. And I'll also be compassionate toward you. Yeshua, before I take your comment, I want to share just another thought, another explanation in this. The Chafetz Chaim learned from here that soldiers, he actually had a message for soldiers going out to battle. That they shouldn't of course, you should always be worried to be captured by the enemy. Of course, you should always be, you know, do your best to be safe. But know, and I'll quote to you, in the event one is taken prisoner by the enemy, he, do not despair. He should not despair. Let him bear in mind that everything is in Hashem's hands for Hashem can turn the captor's attitude toward him for the good. So that they will have mercy upon him as it states, He will give you mercy and be merciful, be merciful toward you. So, so again, the message here is, and then we'll take questions, that not only does Hashem have the greatest love and compassion for us, but the ability for someone else to have love and compassion is only because Hashem gave it to him. Yes, Yeshua. Okay, so it's not a question, it's a comment. And that is that if you're really good, if Hashem is really going to be successful, I don't know if that's the right word, in being compassionate, that will be exemplified by those that receive Hashem's compassion being compassionate themselves. And the metaphor that you could use would be a parent to a child. You, uh, the ideal situation of a parent-child relationship is where the parent teaches the child and the child takes on the qualities and the characteristics of the parent. Is that a, you, is that, you does that fit here? Could you repeat it again? Okay. So if, if what we're talking about here is compassion and, and Hashem is compassionate to people then that compassion will be best, the best measure of that compassion is that those that receive the compassion are themselves compassionate. It can be likened to a relationship between a parent and a child where a parent basically is teaching the child to, to live, to survive in the world. And, um, and the best example that the parent has taught the child is, is that the child you know, takes on the qualities uh, of the parent. That, the, that shows that the child is truly learned. Yes, so I mean, I think you're making a strong point that the, when you see a child with compassion, generally you take that as you, you wanna think that that's something he learned from his parents. Yeah, and, you, and how often do you find that people who are loving are people who have been loved? Point well said. They're paying it forward. Paying it forward. But I do need to mention that what we're saying here is, is much deeper, and that is that the, 
there's no way for a person to have compassion unless Hashem gave it to them. In other words, going back to your example, a child could still have compassion if his parents didn't teach it to him. Um, but that's impossible if Hashem didn't give it to you. So just a little further. Does that make sense, Yeshua? Thank you. Any other questions on this point, on the first quality the provider needs? Yes. Uh, are you raising your hand? No. Okay. The Hasheini, the second quality that a person must believe oh. that God possesses in order to have the top line in him. Is that it is not hidden from the Creator, may He be exalted, the ways which benefit the person. Is that the second quality is that we're certain that Hashem knows what's the best thing for me. And now, Rabbin Vachai is going to give a logical, he's going to give us logic. He's the people who best know the Apple iPhone are the Apple technicians. Would that be a fair word? What's the word for someone who uh, creates the uh, technology? Developers. Thank you, developers. The developers are the people that understand their product the best. So, of course, who understands? the product of the human being the best is Hashem. A little logic here. This is what he's going to let's see. That didn't know that this idea that Hashem knows the best for you and I is logical. Logic dictates this. Since the person, the human being, is one of his handiwork, we are Hashem's, we are Hashem's um, creation. And there is no one who knows better as to what is beneficial or harmful for that which has been made, as well as the troubles that may catch hold of it, the ways in which he, can, he becomes ill as well as healed, than the one who made it himself. The developer, he knows best what's best for the creation. If this is with the iPhone, if this is with your physical table, your physical house, the person who made it knows best. How much more so if he has an Adam. If we find this to be true regarding objects made by human beings who don't actually create anything new through their actions other than the external form of the raw material and who have no skill or power to create the raw material itself. So when we say here that the developers of the iPhone know best how to fix it, wow, I mean, they didn't even, they didn't create the iPhone Right? They didn't create the material the phone is made out of. They didn't create the glass or the plastic. Hashem did. They just took 
one, one material and made another. Then all the more so must it be true regarding God, who creates the raw material itself from which the person is made, as well as his form, his makeup, and the orderly unit, both of unity of both of the body and the soul, as well as the interaction between the various parts of the body. So Hashem not only took two materials together, but he actually created the material. It follows that he, Hashem, is most definitely the wise one who knows what will benefit the person and what will harm him and what is good for him both in this world and in the world to come. Hashem made us. So obviously, logically, he knows what's best for us. And now we're going to bring a verse to support this, as it says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you for your benefit, who leads you by the way you should go. So Hashem is, is guiding us for our own benefit. He knows what's best for us. If the Lord rebukes what he loves and placates as a father to a son. So Hashem knows what's best for us. And it's logical. Small, you agree with that point? If Hashem created us from nothing, then he's going to best know what's the best thing for us to do right now. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to take it that your faith is, is agreeing okay. with it. You're disagreeing. Okay, you're muted. Okay, Vihashli. So now we have the two qualities. Hi, Mark. Welcome. So, Mark, we're learning now what the seven, there's five items that the one trusting needs to have. And the first one is the one trusting needs to trust that Hashem has the seven qualities of the provider we learned in chapter two. And we're now reviewing the seven qualities in more detail. The first one was that Hashem has more compassion than anyone else. And we quoted a verse that tells us only Hashem could give anyone compassion. The second one now we're saying is Hashem logically knows what's best for us because he made us. And the third quality, oh, Morbash, okay, let, let's read this. Go ahead, Morbash, yes. No, no, go ahead. That's okay, just, I just uh, finish what you're reading. I'm no, sorry. no, no, go ahead. Now it's great. Well, um, um, with, with that um, compassion, well, with, with Hashem knowing us because he created us, um, I'm thinking about like parents and I know that we're in partnership with Hashem. So we create our children, but we have compassion on them because we're so familiar with them. Would, would that, would familiarity um, enter into the compassionate, I mean, into the, um, the, the knowing, the creation? 
I'm not making that very clear. Well, let, let me think this through for a moment. Could we say that parents love their kids because they're part of their creation? Just like... As, as their creation, they are the most familiar with their child than anybody else. Um, the history and all of that. Yes, yes, yes. So t tell me, are, are you asked, is this an observation or is this a question? I think it's, I, I think it's a question. I, I just wonder if familiarity has anything to do with uh, Hashem's. You're asking, does Hashem love us because he's the most familiar with us? Is that the question? Uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's no, 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 it's an interesting <laughs> question. And, and actually, what's interesting is you're kind of connecting the first two qualities. You're saying the fact that Hashem has more love than anyone else perhaps is because He created us, knows what's best for us, and is the most familiar with us. Um, we learn that the love of a parent is, is something deep within. Um, deeper than familiarity. Yes, yes. I don't, I don't think that familiarity is a part of the love to the best of my knowledge. But I, I appreciate you bringing it up. Okay. I mean, I, and you're just, you're making me think. In other words, when we talk about marriage, actually we say that the love in marriage remains when you're not too familiar. In other words, right, we have the laws of family purity, which part of it is making sure that the two spouses don't become too familiar with each other. And there's this um, con consistent learning and, um, you know, new energy between them. Okay, the Ashlishi and the third quality that a person must believe that God possesses in order to trust in him. Is that the creator, may he be blessed, is stronger than any other strong being. That his word is more unchangeable than any other person's words. And that no one can reverse his decisions, as it says, that King David says in Psalm, in Tehillim, all that the Lord wishes, he did. Right? Mark, if everything you wished you did, you probably would be a little different than you are right now. We would all be a, a little different. You know, we'd have uh, all of the money we wanted. We'd have all, we, maybe everybody would be skiing right now in the slopes of Mount Everest. Who knows? But uh, Hashem, whatever he wished, he did. And Yeshaya Isaiah says, so shall be my word that emanates from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. 
unless it has done what I desire. When I say something, it's going to happen. So, you know, Hashem has the third quality of supreme power. Mark, you were going to say something. I, I uh, cut you off. Um, no, uh, I wasn't. I was thinking I was going to say something, but it wouldn't have added any value to the conversation. Okay, I'd love to hear after the class. <laughs> the Harivi, the fourth quality, what's the fourth quality? That a person must believe that God possesses in order to have trust in him. The fourth quality is that he supervises the governance of all people. He does not forsake them, but rather helps them out with all of their needs. He does not ignore them when they are in a time of hardship, nor any of their matters concealed from him, whether it be small or big, nor does his being involved in one matter cause him to forget about another matter. Remember, we said a human being, they could love you, but when they're asleep, they're not going to be able to help you. They're sleeping. And when they're involved in one issue, if something comes up in, in their own life, or if even if it's a positive thing, at the time that they're dealing with it, they're not going to be able to focus on you. Hashem can focus, not can, he focuses on you the entire time. He's not sleeping. He's not, he, he's, uh, and the fact that he's involved in one thing doesn't take away from his focus and his assistance to you. How do we know that Hashem is constantly aware and connected and attentive to our needs? Usadav Yisrael. Why should you say, O oh Jacob, and speak, O oh Israel, my way has been hidden from the Lord, and from my God my judgment passes? Why are people saying, Yeshaya is telling the Jewish people, you think Hashem doesn't see what, what you're doing? You think Hashem's going to ignore? The Amar, and another verse also in Yeshaya, also in Isaiah, the next verse, Haliyadaita, Elishamaita. Do you not know? Have you not heard? An everlasting God is the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He, ne he neither tires nor wearies. There is no fathoming his understanding. So Hashem is consistent. So the fact that Hashem is paying attention to Morabasha and is familiar with everything that's going on in her, her world does not mean that he's not familiar with every detail of what's going on in Moshe Mendel's life. And the fact that Hashem is familiar and is attentive and, and is looking deeply at all the beautiful things Moshe Mendel is doing doesn't take away from everything that Myra and Mark and, and Baruch, everybody is doing. You know, as a parent, if one of my children asks me to pay attention, I am not paying attention to my other children at that time. Subconsciously, yes, I'm listening if they're screaming. But you can't watch all of them perform at the same time. Hashem can. Okay, that's, that's number four is that Hashem is con constantly aware and focused on us. Number five. The fifth quality that a person must believe that God possesses in order to have trust in is that no creation has the power to help himself or harm himself or to help or harm another person 
without the permission of the creator, blessed be he. So Hashem has exclusive control over us. No one can help us or no one can harm us without Hashem's permission. We give an example from a slave. A slave, if he has more than one master, so he's going to start trying to hope, this, this guy's going to help him, that guy's going to help him. But if there's only one person who could help him, you're going to put all your eggs in that basket. There's only one basket. There's only, only one person who could help you. <laughs> Interesting. In other words, as I'm thinking about it, the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket, actually here we're saying that's a negative. It's a problem. When it comes to trusting in someone, if you start trusting in many people, you're trusting in nobody. Isn't there a quote like that? Like, if you do too many, you have nothing? Flipping my mind at the moment. So, ki ha'eved, ki so when a slave has more than one master and each one is able to help him, then it does not make sense for the slave to rely solely on one of his masters because he expects to be helped by each one of them. Now, what happens if there's five masters, but you know, one of them at the end of the day, he's stronger. So if in fact, one of them as a result of his greatness is more capable than the others to help him out, then his reliance on that master will be stronger in accordance with his ability to help him, despite the fact that he relies on the other masters as well. So there's five masters, but I, I'm going to put mo most of my energy into that one who could help me the most. <laughs> but what about if only one master could help you? All the more so, if only one of them is able to help him or cause him harm, then he will be forced to rely solely on him alone because he does not expect to be helped by anyone else other than him. So what we're going to now say in the next paragraph is kind of obvious. If Hashem is the only person that could help you, so why would you try and start trusting in a stimulus package? No, I, in other words, I'm not complaining about stimulus packages, but I'm saying we can't put our hopes um, and say that everything is the federal government, everything is your, your leadership. Uh, everything is Hashem. Now, Hashem will soon learn. He put in place leadership. He put in place cause and effect. Yes, and we need to work through that. On Shabbos, I was talking to somebody. Um, and I just want to make a disclaimer before I say this. I am not going to be pro or against uh, the vaccine. That's a private question. If you want it, I'm happy to talk to you about it. I'm just going to tell you more of a of a thought that I could certainly tell you about the COVID vaccine. Someone said he's not taking the vaccine because Hashem is going to take care of him. Why should he take the vaccine? Hashem is going to protect him. 
didn't ha- didn't Hashem create the vaccine? Oh, oh, I just want to say, based on what we're learning, that's what I told him. I said, one second. Maybe Hashem's way of keeping you safe is through the vaccine. Exactly. That's the point I wanted to say. Again, I'm not telling you, I'm not taking any sides here. I'm just making an, an observation that medicine is, is, yes, it's a vehicle of Hashem. Um, and so that's what we're learning here. Yes, nothing can happen without Hashem. And nothing will happen without Hashem. And we need to have full trust in Hashem. Because he is the only person, or not person, the only being that can make anything happen. And there's an interesting story we learn. We, we hear. There was a baker of a Jewish community he was a non-Jew, and he would bake bread for the Jewish people. And he came up with a brilliant plan. He wanted to kill the Jewish people. So yeah, he had a brainstorm. His brainstorm was, he's going to put poison in all the bread. Which bread in particular? He's going to put poison in the bread the Jewish people buy the day after Pesach. So the day after Pesach, everybody's anxious to get their chametz. They're all going to just run in and say, give me your first loaf of bread. He's going to put poison in it. And that will be the end of the community. And he did it. He did that. He put poison in the bread. Now, what, what happened? If we go back 10 years prior, Rabbi Landau goes back uh, many years ago. The Rav of the city, he sees a young boy crying, a non-Jewish boy is crying. And he says, why are you crying? And the boy shares that he lives with his mean uncle. And his uncle basically won't allow him to come back unless he can't come back home every day unless he sells his quota of bread. His uncle is a baker. And uh, his uncle basically doesn't allow him back into the house. He beats him unless he sells off all the bread. And he says he did. He sold off. He sold off all the bread. But somehow he lost the money from that day. So the rabbi tells him, "Don't worry." He brings him to his house, he, and he gives him. He gives him tzedakah. He gives him money. And the boy never forgot. So ten years later, the boy hears his uncle making this plot to kill the Jews. And in confidence, he goes to the rabbi. And he tells the rabbi the story. The rabbi hears the story and he didn't know what to do. How does he handle this? What? So he had a brainstorm. You know, back then there weren't calendars. The rabbi, the local rabbi, he would make his own accounting. So he gets up in show the seventh, the seventh day of Pesach. And he says, I need to apologize. My calculation of Pesach was off this year. Really, we started Pesach one day early, and we need to keep Pesach for an extra day. So the people are like, wow, the rabbi made such a grave mistake. You know what that means? That means that we had the Seder on the wrong night. Big talk, you know, people weren't too impressed with their rabbi to make such a big mistake. But anyways, they say, okay. So now it's the ninth day of Pesach, right? But the rabbi told them it's really the eighth. 
and all the the people come to show because they believe it's still a uh, Pesach. And, and meanwhile, the rabbi goes with the police, and, uh, the police chief of the city, and they go and you know they they see that the bread has poison, um, and the baker baker is uh, you know taken to prison, and, and Jewish people are saved. And there's so many stories, but. They weren't really saved because they had to eat unleavened bread for an extra day. Right, they were saved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, and actually, just we're coming out from Purim. The Purim story is the most, if we spend time on it, and actually over the last few years, I've recently been doing it. The Purim story, it's the most miraculous. It's just not miraculous, right? certainly miraculous, but it's just the most incredible story how Hashem put things in place that made no sense. You know, Esther, we look at her as just, you know, uh, the savior of the Purim story. But for years, there was more than seven years that she was married to Achashverosh before the Purim story happened with no understanding why she was stuck marrying this person. Um, now, later on, we, you know, we see how everything is Hashem's divine plan. So bringing this back here, no one, Haman may have had a big plan, but no one can harm us. Um, and it ends on the flip side, we're learning here. No one can save us aside for Hashem. Oh, wow. It's already time to conclude. Let's wrap this up. I want to share a final thought and then we'll continue next week. We've learned... In, in, in the way the order is here, the first five qualities that the provider needs for us to trust in him. The provider needs to have the most for compassion and Hashem has the most compassion. Not only Hashem has the most compassion, no one can have compassion without Hashem. We learn that Hashem needs to know what's best for us. And of course, Hashem knows what's best for us. He made us. Just like if you make something, you know what's best. Hashem made us. He knows what's best for us. The provider needs to have supreme strength. Hashem has supreme strength. No one could do anything without him. Only and Hashem could, anything he wants, Hashem could get done. The fourth quality was that Hashem always pays attention to us. And we learned that Hashem could pay attention to two things at once. He never, he never loses focus on us. The fifth Fifth quality was that only Hashem can help us, no one else. And that's what we're holding. I want to conclude with just a thought, and we're going to pick up on this next week. You know, we talk about divine providence. And at times you may be asked, tell me a story of divine providence that happened to you today. And it's a good question. What's your story of divine providence? Let's try it out. Anyone willing to share a story of divine providence from today? Mm. Something, something divine. Providence. And now, now I'm going to tell you, the divine providence, and this is what I wanted to share. So people often, you ask them, they tell you a miracle story. Divine providence means that the fact yeah, Mark, go ahead. So um, when I moved, I, I found a suitcase. And in the suitcase was a whole bunch of old 
documents and things that I bought from South Africa. And I actually, I've got one. I've got I've, the one I'm going to talk about is right here in front of me. Okay. This is my great grandfather, Joseph Kadish. Okay. And on the bottom is dated March 9th, 1916, where he was receiving an award from the Cape Jewish Orphanage, thanking him for being president of the orphanage. And at the bottom, there's about a dozen signatures. And I started looking at the signatures and I spot one called L. Gradner. And I was thinking to myself, I'm Facebook friends with three girls who I grew up with, whose great grandfather is L. Gradner. Huh. And their great grandfather and my great grandfather were friends in 1916. And I sent them all a note. I took a picture and I said, what do you think they would be thinking if they knew that four generations later, their descendants were friends? That's amazing. And it's the same, and it's tomorrow, right? Tomorrow's yeah, March 9th. Tom tomorrow, yeah. Wow, 105 years. Yeah, and I've got this right here. And I, I, when I looked at the signature, I couldn't believe it. It's like, but wow. I know his great, great granddaughters. Wow, that's beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. That's a, that's a story of um, how life, yeah, you just, you're, you're bringing such happiness and pride to your, your great-grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite a special thing to be able to say. I'm bringing nachas to my great-grandparents. Well, I hope I could say that. That's quite special. Um, I hope we should all be able to be able to say such a thing. I want to add that real divine providence is the fact that all of us are looking at a screen right now, wearing whatever clothing we're wearing, sitting wherever we're sitting. Divine practice means that every moment, even this seemingly mundane, is divine. The way that Baruch is holding his beard and the way that the way that Shmuel is holding his head, just just everything that happens, everything that happens in our life is divine providence. And that's really special. Each one of us, every moment, the fact that I'm able to see all of those beautiful pictures in back of Yeshua's screen, and the fact that I know that Dr. Malov is a doctor because in back of him I see a lot of doctor books, everything is divine providence. And the fact, yeah, that you see my beautiful uh, curtain here, it, it, it's all divine. And every moment you should just see that divinity, that, beaut that beauty, that Hashem's walking over us. So if nothing else you take out from this class, know that Hashem is watching you every moment. Hashem cares about you and, and he loves you. 